0: Would you welcome the Maryland, D.C. District Superintendent for the Chester Wright to the platform. Thank you. God bless you. Praise God. You may be seated for a little while here. Um, What an awesome time we had last night today. What a beautiful spirit of the lord i pray that you would receive this in the the half kidding half serious challenging way i mean what i'm about to say i love the young people of this district i love going to youth camp and fellowshipping with them and praying with them at night some of you young people kind of got the idea that you got a corner on the fire I hope you have seen so far tonight that uh, there was fire here a whole lot longer ago in this district before you got here. So you're a continuation of the fire. You didn't invent the fire. Come on. You, praise God. Amen. Uh, it's a little presumptuous of me, I guess, to. Uh, be a part of the praise uh, group but that was remember when And to be honest with you uh, one of my favorite things to do in this entire world is to sing with my wife has been for 46 years the first thing we ever did spiritually together was sing together And uh, we still enjoy singing together. Uh, Before I preach, I I really felt to do this. Um, Most of you know the valley, the battle we've been going through. In fact, some of you don't realize you've witnessed a miracle tonight. I'm serious as I can be. Did she sing and worship like someone that just finished four months of chemo last week? That's the Holy Ghost, my friend. That's what God can do. Doctors only can do so much, but look what God can do. Appreciate all the Prayers you can't possibly imagine How much they're appreciated I've always believed it was important For us to pray for one another But in all honesty I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life I have literally experienced The prayers of other people When uh, when you go to bed And you're as low as you can get, up, get And in the morning you wake up And you feel better And you've got nothing you've done to change that, you know that's a result of somebody else praying for you. That's an amazing thing. My wife has a testimony, and uh, it's a little bit of an unusual one, but I've asked her to share it with you because I know you love us. I know you love her, and I know you've been praying for her, but I feel like this is really important we're not done yet uh, she's having uh, serious surgery on the 29th of May and then uh, depending on the results of all of that we will know if we're done or if there's more that has to happen um, but uh, this is her testimony and uh, we're gonna get to sing on the course with her after she shares this
1: to God be the glory for the things he has done. The morning that I re- we received the call from the doctor of the change that was taking place in my life. I didn't know what to do, I didn't know what to say. Actually, I felt like to some degree I lost my breath, and I kind of took a step back. But then I felt the presence of the Almighty God surround me, and I walked into my living room, and I sat down at my piano, and the Lord gave me a song, and that's my song. It's going to bring me through. I will rejoice when this is over. I will give God the glory when it's over. Because that morning, it did not matter what a doctor had just told my husband. It mattered what God spoke to me sitting in my living room. I did not write this song. You're going to recognize that it is an old one. You're going to recognize it. But this has been my song. And any time that the devil comes a knocking. Saying to me, why are you going through this? What have you done wrong? This is what I say to him. He lets me walk down roads of disappointment. He watches and he knows what's best for me My greatest strength comes through my darkest trials And my greatest joy is knowing In me, that's just his way of telling me he loves me, and it's a lot. Walking through this dark valley, you see, He's gonna give me strength to climb the highest to you. The most The better he can hold me, oh, change my life completely to fit his perfect dream. Dark valley He's gonna give me strength to climb the highest
0: hallelujah 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 if you would turn please in your bible to 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 12 I apologize to you precious folks that I didn't give you a title got my title this morning as my wife related a story to me drowned with a life jacket on that's my title drowned with a life jacket on first peter chapter 4 beginning verse 12 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. And as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, he suffered suffered in every possible way you and I could suffer. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, family, you name it. He suffered in every conceivable way you and I would potentially suffer. But rejoice in as much as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad also with exceeding, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So just as a side note, isn't it amazing the company that being a busybody keeps? Not very innocent, isn't it? Of course, we have sophisticated ways to be busybodies today. It's called Facebook, Instagram. It's nothing more than being a busybody. The way 99% of people use it. That's not my message. Let none of you sufferers or murderers or thiefer's and evildoers or busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, this is only the second time in the entire New Testament the word Christian is used. They were called Christians first at Antioch, Acts chapter thirteen. And then in, in this case, if any if, if any man suffer is a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as a faithful creator. One more time, verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. You may be seated. I was... Really nervous leading up to this, this is only my fourth time to minister since the 8th of November. For the last almost six months, my ministry has been to Alice and essentially nobody else. But the Lord in his mercy has confirmed his word to me and I stand here tonight with confidence that he wants to speak to us if you will receive it for some of you as positive as this message is and will be and it is a positive message for some of you it will not be a positive message because it will be completely contrary to your goal and expectation for being a christian Completely contrary. We have followed the last few days on uh, the iPad uh, the various news reports of the ferry that capsized off the coast of Korea with all those high schoolers on it. What a fiasco! It's not just a catastrophe, would it, but it was a fiasco. The professionals that should have known what to do in the case of an emergency, how to evacuate that ship, get people off it safely, made wrong decisions in every step. And as I was praying and meditating and, and uh, doing some study this morning, my wife was reading and she said, Listen to this. They finally got inside the ferry and they went into one room and there were forty-one girls in that room all with life jackets on drowned and they're trying to get to another room that they're expecting very possibly could have fifty or more dead inside it all with life jackets on. And you say, well, why Why was that? Because from what I understand, and my understanding may be off, but this is what I understand, when the ship first started capsizing, someone announced that everyone should go to a room or two rooms and stay there until they were given instructions to abandon ship. The problem was it capsized so much more quickly than they thought it was going to that there was never a chance to get those that went into those rooms off the ship. The ones that hadn't gone in those rooms, almost all of them have lived. The ones that went into those rooms drowned even though they were wearing a Life jacket They were on a holiday as a school group, a group of high schoolers. I could imagine the excitement and the high energy that was there. This kind of a thing is so it's, this kind of a thing is so rare, especially uh, the suddenness of it. Apparently uh, from what I understand at this point, uh, the captain was not on the bridge, and the person that had the con gave an order to make a turn much too sharply for the speed they were going, and the ship did not have the uh, ability to stay upright because the center of gravity was too high up, et etc., et etc., with all the loading of the ship of this ferry. And it went over and it just kept on going. And these kids thought they were doing what was right. They were trying to follow instructions. They ended up trapped, dying with a life jacket on. You say, what does that have to do with this message and these scriptures? Well, here we are. I I can't speak for you, but I'm going to tell you. I have one goal in this life, everything else is secondary. As long as I can remember, since I was a little, little child, in my very first Sunday of life, my mother took me to a United Pentecostal church. I was born on a Monday. And she got out of the hospital and took me to church on Sunday. I have known anything else than this, except for four years at the Naval Academy when I had to go to Chapel because there wasn't an apostolic church in the area in Annapolis at the time I haven't known anything else as, as long as I can remember as small as I can remember my earliest memories was to be saved at age 12 I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and that night, same night was baptized in Jesus' name just not too long ago my wife and I were Back in Jacksonville, the same church we met in is the church my dad was state in. We were attending when my dad was stationed there when I was 12, and that's the same church I got baptized and got the Holy Ghost in. In fact, the same altar that I got the Holy Ghost in is the altar my wife was playing a piano in when I walked in church that night. That was a mighty altar. Changed my life twice. I want to go to heaven in all transparency I have to admit to you sometimes I look at myself and the thoughts I'm having and the feelings I've got and some things that uh, I don't want to do but I do and some things I do want to do and I don't and I, I say to myself you're not acting right now like a person that wants to go to heaven you say you want to go to heaven But right at this moment, a person that wants to go to heaven wouldn't do this. Right at this moment, a person that wants to go to heaven would be doing this. I've got my life jacket on. That doesn't guarantee salvation. I come to a place where I can hear truth and get direction. Feel the presence of God. But that doesn't guarantee my salvation. I I believe the truth with everything in me. I've been willing to die for the truth as long as I can remember. Think what you want to by this. It doesn't make any difference. God knows it's the truth. But many, many years ago, Brother McIntyre, I prayed. Lord, if it's your will for me to die before the rapture, I'm asking you not to let me die in an accident. Don't let me die of sickness or disease. If I've got to die before the rapture, I want my blood shed for the gospel. Think what you want to. I prayed that, I prayed that a long, long time. I, I want to be like the apostles. How many of them died peacefully in their bed with their family gathered around? Not one of them. I want to be like the apostles. I want to believe like they believe. I want to have what they had. I want to live like they lived. And if necessary, I want to die like they died. If necessary. And I have to be honest with you. I've thought for years that the very slim possibility of that happening, uh, unless it was on one of my mission trips overseas, but... I'm rapidly beginning to see that in this country it's becoming, the possibility is getting greater and greater every day as we breathe. Every day. There will be people in this room who will be martyred for the truth before the rapture. You hear the word of the Lord. There are people in this room that will face martyrdom that will recant their faith to save their hide. Light jacket on, but you're going to die in a place of salvation. How in the world are we going to survive all that's about to come in this earth so that there can be an end time worldwide apostolic revival and harvest If God does not let us walk through difficult roads so that we can prove our faith ahead of time. The trial of our faith is much more precious than gold that perisheth. Oh, this is, this is positive. I told you for some of you, this wasn't going to be considered positive. You know, we don't want to hear this. We want, we want the God of the TV preachers. That's bad enough for those that watch that stuff. But in an apostolic church, we want a TV preacher Jesus. One that's there to solve all of our problems. And to give us plenty of spending money to live whatever lifestyle we want to live and call it blessing. A God who is willing and able to fix every little thing that's wrong in your life you don't like? That's the TV preacher God. That's not the God of the book. That's not the God of the Bible. How would you like, how would you, how would you like Paul's introduction to the Savior? And Ananias, I want you to go down to the street, call straight. I got a fellow down there I need you to talk to. A couple of days ago, he and I met on the road. He met me. I already knew him. I want you to go and tell and pray for him he, he, so he can see again. And I want you to tell him how great things he's going to suffer for my main sake. Hello, Jesus. Nice to meet you. Hello? That was, that was Paul's introduction to the Savior. He's blind. All he's got is this vivid memory of a light and a voice. And he spent three days hearing that voice going back through his head. Round and round and round through his head. He, he doesn't know if he's blind permanently. And a man shows up and says, Hey... You're going to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to baptize you. And by the way here, see? Oh, but you've been chosen. And here's the great position you've been chosen for. You're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. As the bishop preached last night, Why do you think so many people who supposedly believe the truth are changing the truth and changing the message? Why? You know why they're doing that? They're doing it trying to build a crowd. Because they're trying to appeal to a people that want a TV preacher God. They don't want to suffer for His name's sake. They don't want to go through any trials or tests. They don't want to. They don't want to. This has been the most difficult time for me in fifty five years or so of having the Holy Ghost. Fifty six years. I am a prisoner. Of My revelations I literally i 'm a prisoner of my revelations. ten years ago, eleven years ago, this past February, on my birthday morning, I got up to the to the building. I don't know why that's bothering me. I shouldn't let it, but it does. (laughs) Brother Whaley, who was singing with us tonight, calls me at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday on my birthday, 2003, and says, Brother Wright, we were in that big snowstorm, remember? Big snowstorm, biggest one, storm of the century, whatever it was. He called me and said, the building's collapsed. I said, Sean, I don't feel like jokes this morning. And I was expecting him to say, oh, brother, I'm just trying to kid. No, no. He got really quiet and he said, I really wish I was joking, brother Wright, but the snow's collapsed, the the church building. Joel and I, who was single at the time, had... Had, it had taken us six hours to dig a automobile-wide path from our car to the road. And it wasn't a very long drive back then. Six hours of constant digging of snow to get out. And of course, the plow came along and closed it up. So some, I think you came and got us, didn't you, Sean? The Whaley came by and we crawled over that little embankment that the snowplow had made and we drove up we couldn't even get in the parking lot we had to park at the post office on the corner down the hill and we walked up the road walked up that hill and looked and there was the building it was collapsed it was on the ground I was and uh, I thought that was the worst trial of my life I thought it was but in that trial uh, about six months after I was Going through that, the Lord taught me really how to have peace. He taught me the secret to having peace and how important it is to have peace. And it's a far more important thing for a child of God to have peace than it is for their problems to be solved. The Lord's not going to solve all my problems, but I can have peace in my problems. I can have peace in my trials. Sometimes He calms the storm. But more importantly, He'll give you peace in the storm. And so the Lord taught me a new way to pray. And I I prayed this way for for 11 years. I prayed this way. Casting my cares. Not asking the Lord to do anything for me personally. Just casting my cares and seeking peace. That's how I pray. That's how I live. Just casting my cares. Because for me personally whatever's going on in my life he's my father he loves me he's in control the devil didn't do this he might have been the the, the instrument that did it but he can't do anything he's on a leash he's limited My Father has Him under control. And anything it seems like He's done in my life, my Father allowed it for His purposes and for the glory of the kingdom and for my salvation's sake. So why do I want to pray off something the Father has willed that I experience? Why? devil didn't do this. My father allowed this. I'm a child of God. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as chance for a child of God. That may be true for everybody else in the world, but it's not true for me. I'm a child of God. My father... (laughs) Woo! My father is over everything. He's in control of everything and everybody as far as all that supernatural realm. The devil is a finite being. You can't compare him to the God that is before the beginning and after the ending, from everlasting to everlasting. You can't compare the devil to that. It is not the will of God for a child of God to be afraid of the devil, to be afraid of disease, to be afraid of sickness, to be afraid of financial problems, to be afraid of death. We're not called to do that. Hebrews 2 says he was crucified. So that he, in giving his life, could set us free from the
1: fear of death. Set
0: free. Set free. So for 11 years, just, I, I just cast... I cast it all on Him. I cast. I don't ask for anything. What, what, what am I, I? The only thing I can ask for is just for grace and strength and peace in the midst of whatever. Because when He's done with whatever the circumstances are in my life, He will change them. Well, what are we? What are we supposed to pray for then, brother? Right? You ever heard of the lost? You know why? So few of our churches are really, really biblically growing because most of the prayer we pray is for God to fix the stuff we don't like. We don't have time, nor a burden, nor a care to pray for the lost. Because as long as my problems are solved, I don't have anything to pray for. I love you. I I lived that way a long, long, long time. I'm not being condemning of you. I did the best I could. That was all I knew to do. I did what I was raised to do. I was, I was, I did what I was taught to do. You know, God can change anything. Yeah. And he can prevent anything, prevent anything from happening. And if he allowed it, oops, you know, we, we think prayers to fix all of God's oops. Oops, how'd that slip by me? Oops, how did that happen? Well, I can't do anything about it now until my people pray so that I can fix the ups. Is that your God? It's not my God. Is that your Father? Not my Father. In fact, you cannot know biblical peace unless you are willing and able to fully trust your entire being and everything you've got and everyone you love and everything that matters to you to the person, to the person who is in control of it all. He is my Father. He loves me. Even when I'm unlovable. He loves me. He loves me. Even when I'm unlovable. He loves me. Even when I'm unlovable. How can I... Oh, Lord. I'm going wait on that one a moment. This is the verse that just really... I've preached from this verse before but in the last little while this verse has just completely become a new verse to me and that is 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 18. I'm going to read verse 17 for context. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God and if it first begin at us what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God and if the righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The word scarcely means uh, with difficulty. Not easily. With difficulty. If the righteous scarcely be saved, strive that you may enter in. Well, brother, I, I can't save myself by effort. That's not what this is talking about. Because listen to what he said. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? For years, I have had those two mixed up. I thought the ungodly were Christians that just weren't living the life of devotion they ought to. And the word sinner, I thought that meant for... was talking about unregenerated people. But as I got into looking, recently got into looking at those two words in the Greek a little more in depth, I, I, I've come to the understanding uh, it's the opposite. Because this word "ungodly," listen to this: it is the it's the negative, uh, it's 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 irreverent by extension, in per, in, in, impious or wicked, destitute of res- reverential rever- reverential awe toward God, condemning God, impious. It is the negative of the word to revere or adore. There has never been a time in my life. Brother McIntyre where the general attitude of this world is so, they're not even neutral toward God they're anti-God mockers and scoffers he said, don't hide your candle under a bushel candle, he didn't say your hundred thousand candle Power searchlight. He said, "Your candle. If we lit a candle up here tonight, you might notice it. But it, it, you just okay. It's candle. You turn off all the lights in here, and all of a sudden that candle sticks out like a sore thumb. You can't make the candle brighter. It's just a candle. If you want the candle to be seen by everybody, you got." To let it get darker than it is. That's the plan. That's the prophecy. If you want to sit around and wring your hands over how terrible everything is and how bad everything is going and what are we going to do about it? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do about it. Nothing! Nothing! But try to pray and be in tune and be ready to be used of God when the time is right. It's got to get dark for the candle to be noticeable. Things have got to get bad. Lie has to be so prevalent that truth suddenly becomes obvious. I think it was you, brother Ryder, uh, brother uh, McIntyre, or you, brother Reynolds, one of the other. Forgive me for not remembering, but I remember it being said. How, you, you, you know, <laughs> this past December was eight years that I was no longer the officially the senior pastor of Antioch. A whole lot of stuff changed when that took place. Some of you think that's just verbiage or whatever. No, it's really true. I'm not the pastor of Antioch. And even less so today than I've ever been. It's not the will of God to go back. Things changed. And doors that had never been opened to me suddenly opened without me making any announcements. They just opened. They'd be going places preaching it. That was not an encouraging thing. It was not encouraging. It was not encouraging to go so many places that just defined their apostolic Christianity as having good church. Everybody just leaving church feeling good. And I got to be, I'm being really, really transparent here tonight. I I, I got so sick of that. I, I didn't even want to go anyplace anybody any, anymore. I, I I didn't want to go and have to just endure people going through the motions, having good church, just trying to feel good, just so that I could preach to them. It just got really, and I didn't quit because the Lord wouldn't let me, and I didn't want to be in trouble with Him. But I I wasn't volunteering. Good church, it's not the success. The 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 the. the The definition of a spiritual church having good church services is not the definition of a spiritual or mature church it is not sometimes spiritual churches have to battle through all kind of resistance just trying to have a move for god move of god but a carnal church they know how to push the buttons And people are willing to have their button pushed so they can leave church feeling good and tell themselves they're okay. But you want to know how you can know that you're not okay? Just let God tell you no when you ask Him for something. And show me what your attitude is. And I'll tell you if you're doing okay. Okay. Just tell me how many times you're tempted to ask God, why me, when some kind of trial or test or sickness comes your way. Just tell me how many times the thoughts go through your mind. What have I done to deserve this? You want to know if you're spiritual or not? Those are the thoughts of carnal, immature people. That is not spirituality the way your attitude and the way you handle trial and death and disappointment and pain and affliction and loss demonstrates your spirituality. That demonstrates your, your spirituality. There's so many different ways that God can test us. Brethren, those of you that are ministers, <laughs> I have been through so many financial trials. It's just, they all blur together. They just blur together. I've been through so many financial trials, they don't even blip on my radar screen anymore. Because they seem like a trial, and in the last second, he always comes through. So why am I going to get worked up over that? Oh, I got a question. Why is he going to continue to test me financially? Pass that test. <clears throat> Maybe I should have struggled a little bit more and stayed in that test. <laughs> or family problems. Or church trouble. Ooh, that and stuff. When people you've loved and ministered to and counseled with and prayed for get crosswise and leave and you are, you are the second person of the devil's trinity. You are, you're, you're only, the only person worse than you is the devil himself. You are the devil incarnate and they, they rue the day they ever met you. That doesn't feel good. And a man of God that doesn't learn how to deal with that without becoming hardened to it, but at the same time without letting it cripple him, that's the way to be tested. Try My mom and dad have both passed away. That was difficult, but they were both in their 80s. And and I don't mean that in a negative sense of well oh well no no, but both of them living into their eighties was a miracle. God answered prayer after prayer after prayer for them to make it that long. And sure, I would have loved to ha- ha- for them still to be around, but but I'm thankful and I've got peace. I was standing by my dad's bedside just six hours before he passed, and I couldn't I couldn't talk. We were all gathered around his bed just singing. He was conscious. He was conscious up until about the last hour before he passed. He had a tube down his throat, but his eyes were, were, were open, and you could see he was following the room. He knew what we were doing. Tears would come to his eyes as we'd sing certain songs. And I'm getting so choked up I can't even sing. And this voice said to me while I was sitting by his bed, holding his hand, trying to sing, absent from the body is present from the Lord with the Lord. And hear me. At that moment, the tears dried up. I've never had a tear come down my face again, even after he passed it at the funeral. After that moment, because you know what? My dad didn't cease to exist. I was raised in the Navy. We've lived in so many different houses. I understand packing up your stuff and moving to another house. I did that. I, I, my, my sons, we both, both my sons have lived in the same city all their lives. I can't relate to that. went to about six different schools, six or seven different schools by the time I graduated from high school. I understand Pack it up. So when the Lord said, absent from the body is present with the Lord. I know the scripture says the body is the tabernacle of God. It's a tabernacle. So my dad wants to be, my dad is a consciously awake in the presence of Jesus this minute. I'm going to grieve for that I miss him, but I'm not grieving for him. In fact, I've told my family, if I die, the person that prays the prayer to resurrect me, they're in trouble. Because when I'm serious, when I cross the finish line, don't pray me back across the line to have to cross it again. When I've made it, I want to make it. You're not praying me back for my sake. You're praying me back for your sake. Get over it. I'm not asking to die. I've got a lot. There's a whole lot I haven't seen that I'm believing for. A lot. But my friend, I'm not going to fear death. It's not my saying, but do you let the devil threaten you with heaven? He's stupid. You're going to threaten me with heaven? First of all, you don't have the power to kill me. But second of all, if I die, I'm going to heaven. My race is over with. No more race. No more pain. No more problems. I want to come back to this. The other word sinner there that I used to think was specifically talking just about people who didn't know Jesus yet. It's not. The, words, the root word of the word sinner is to miss the mark. Literally to miss the mark. It is the person. You can't miss something you're not trying to hit. Implied in the context of that word. Is an effort to try to hit the mark. And the root word, it, it, again, you've got, you got the word sinner, that's the noun, you got, and then you got the word sin, which is the verb, and that, that's what literally means to miss the mark. And the root word of to miss the mark is portion or share. So these people that are sinners that aren't gonna make it, the righteous, and, and the most common context, uh, uh, the Greek of this righteous word righteous here is someone who's innocent. And we're all guilty. So an innocent person is someone who has received the gift of innocence by faith from in the Lord Jesus Christ. As demonstrated by your faith in obeying Acts 2.38. But you've received innocence as a gift. You were guilty. But he, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then your corresponding participation with the death, burial, and the resurrection in repentance, water, baptism, receive the Holy Ghost. God gives you, gives you innocence. A guilty person can't ever do enough to become innocent because he's done so much good. A guilty person can't do enough right to undo the wrong they've done. You may do good, but you're still guilty. If you're guilty, you're not innocent. If you're not innocent, you're not righteous. Because righteous and innocent, is their synonyms. So if I'm innocent, even though I was once guilty, it is a gift. So if the righteous... Those who have come so to the end of themselves, who have seen themselves to such a degree in the trials of their life, that they understand they can't save themselves by what they do. I don't come to church to be saved. I come to church because I am saved. I don't pay my tithes to be saved. I pay my tithes because I am saved. If I don't pay my tithes, I'm not lost because I don't pay my tithes. I'm lost because I don't have the faith and the surrender of my life and being necessary to be saved that is demonstrated by paying my tithes. If I don't come to church, I'm not lost because I don't come to church. I'm lost because... I don't have the faithfulness and the commitment necessary in me to be saved. That's demonstrated by my faithfulness to church. Because if coming to church saved you, then everybody that came faithfully to church would be saved because they, they come to church. If paying tithes saved you, then everybody pays their tithes is saved. if outward separation saved you, then the Amish are all saved. The Mennonites are saved. Because i got to be honest with you, if you want to measure all this compared to the good Mennonite, we look pretty worldly. Because we fit into this world a whole lot easier than the Amish and the Mennonite. So if outward separation alone saved you, we're backslid. But we don't practice outward separation to be saved. We practice outward separation as an outward indication of the salvation that is in us. Well, then you don't need to do that to be saved. No, 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 you're missing the point. If it's in there, it's going to show outwardly. Yeah. You can do it outwardly and it not be in there, but you can't have it in there and it not show outwardly. Yeah.
1: Can't happen.
0: So I'm trying to hurry here. I, I I knew all these other verses I I studied. I I wasn't going to get to them. <laughs> Hear me. Look at the context of 1 Peter 4.18 in the scriptures I read tonight. 1 Peter 4.18 is in the context of suffering with Christ. So what is the message of 1 Peter 4.18 in the context of suffering? The message is that my suffering Brings me to the end of my goodness. The end of my strength. The the end of my ability to do right on my own. So that I realize. That I can't possibly. Ever be good enough to save me. So I cast myself. Upon the Savior. Savior to save me years ago I was studying John 15 5 Jesus said without me ye can do nothing and I said Lord my mind believes that but my actions don't, don't don't really prove that I believe that my actions don't really demonstrate I believe that and he said you're right Because if you believed that verse, you'd pray like you believed it. See why trial has got to come? I've got to go through enough trial that there's no way for me to cope on my own in that trial. My trial, my tests, my sufferings have got to be severe enough. To bring me to the end of my strength, the end of my ability, the, the end of my goodness. My trials, my tests are a blessing of God because He wants me to be saved. And as long as there's anything conscious or subconscious in me that feels good. you know, i got my thumbs and my smelly armpits my, stretching or, or, or strutting my stuff. Look at all those people out there lost. They don't know what I know. They don't have what I have. You know why we don't preach much about hell anymore? It's not because we don't believe in hell anymore. For the true man of God, it's not because we're afraid of running people off if we preach on hell. But we inherently know that the old way of preaching hell, of threatening people with hell and hanging them over hell, is not the Spirit of Christ. And we don't know how to preach hell with the Spirit of Christ. And and, and, and I've read this. I haven't actually counted up every instance. But I've read that Christ literally talked eight times more about hell than he did heaven so how can Christ talk about hell so much and we can't at all because we haven't
1: learned how
0: to preach about hell with the spirit of Christ you know why? because we haven't come to our the end of ourselves far enough to be able to plead with them not to go Rather than threatening them with going if they don't do what we're saying. And you can't plead with people not to go till you've come to the end of yourself and realize that if you don't go to hell, you're not going to be able to take any credit for not going to hell. This is the doctrine that this modern movement is perverting because it's true you can't do anything to be saved but that doesn't mean there's nothing for you to do and that it's wrong to do it Jesus Uh, I wasn't going to read this but let's go to Luke chapter 17 I'd like to start with verse 5 and I'm going to read fast if you don't mind I'm going to read from the screen All right. The apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And he said, faith's not your problem. I paraphrased. The Lord said, if you had faith, as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. You might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Faith's not your problem. It's not that you don't have enough faith. But, which of you? No, go back, um, verse 6. Oh, there it is, okay, seven. But which of you, having a servant plowing or uh, or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me, and let me put in here the word first, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Next verse. Doth he thank that servant... Because he did the things that were commanded him. I trow not. That's King James for I don't think so. So likewise ye. When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you say. We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. So when I obey Acts 2.38, holiness, tithes coming to church and everything else that's expected of a child of God, I can't take any credit for my salvation. I'm not saved because I did any of that. All of my obedience didn't profit God in one iota. I'm not saved by it. The profit is to me. Not because I earn my salvation. Because my obedience only gives me a way to demonstrate saving faith. And you can't have saving faith that's not demonstrated. Oh, I have saving faith. I believe. No, you don't. If saving faith isn't demonstrated, then you don't have it. You can live a religious life without saving faith. But you can't have saving faith and not live the commandments of God. My trials have got to be severe enough to bring me to the end of myself. I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. That's my nature. I like to fix stuff. I like to figure stuff out. I like to understand things. I've been through a few bouts of physical problems. Had 12 inches of colon taken out a couple of years ago. Was laid up for about five months before and after all of that. Hey, that sickness thing is, you just suck it up and you grit it out and you just push your way through it. You're going to make this. I'm going to do that. Man, being sick just kind of feeds the old male ego just another challenge you've thrown in my way i make this thing happen so the Lord said oh so I didn't bring you too far down with that one now let's try this you're not sick it's the other half of you that's sick and I'm not going to let you pray a prayer to change it I'm not going to let you do anything, but just be a shoulder to cry on. Seems like, and I'm happy for it to be the case, but the last six months, I'm the chauffeur and the bodyguard. I accompany to every, hosp- every hospital visit, a doctor's appointment, sit there it, it, with every procedure in or out of the room of, as I'm allowed to. I, Take her to the bank. I would Take her to the grocery store. I do all of that. That's my ministry. I'm happy to do it. Because that's all he'll let me do. I know how to receive a word from God. I know what a voice, the voice of God sounds like. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And you don't go around speaking words God didn't give you. That's lying. That's prophesying out of your own heart. And God curses that. So I can't go put my hand on my wife's head and say, I rebuke you, cancer, in Jesus' name. I wasn't given a word to do that. Can't do it. Won't let me do it. I know when I've got a word when I don't. Don't have a word. He let me know in the beginning this wasn't going to give me a word. Wait a minute. You're emasculating me spiritually and naturally here. You've taken the other half of myself and put her in potentially a life or death situation. And told me. Watch. What are you doing to me God? I haven't been able to bring you to the end any other way. I'm bringing you to the end of you. Everything you, that defines you to you. I'm making it null and void in this situation. Why? Not trying to humiliate me. Not trying to hurt me. Trying to save me. Trying to save me. And growth is coming to the end of myself. I'm going to read really quickly. I'm trying to be through here. I appreciate your patience. But I believe you can sense the Holy Ghost is saying something. I'm looking at faces that are going, oh, oh, that's what's going on. Some of us have given up on prayer because prayer doesn't work. You're right. When your father decides that he's going to bring you to the end of you so that he can save you, because as long as you've got any ability to do it yourself, when your father decides, okay, that's enough, I've done all I can do with everything else, Now it's nitty gritty time I'm bringing you to the end of you When your father decides that You either Give up on him Or give up on you You're going to do one or the other You're going to give up on him Or you're going to give up on you And being brought to the end of you Is so important to God. That he's willing to risk losing you. If you decide to go the other direction. That's how critical it is. That's how important it is. Without going into a big eschatology dissertation. It's in my opinion a very easy biblical proof that the 24 elders. Represents the church. The word 24 can't possibly be literal. And those 24 elders are the only human beings. The word elders never used. Presbyterios in the Greek is never used in regards to any supernatural being. It's only ever used in regards to human beings. And those are the only human beings anywhere from Genesis through the end of Revelation that are sitting in the presence of God in heaven, which was promised to the church and only the church. And they were given crowns, and only the church is get, going to receive crowns. Only the church. But all, and, and of course, in, in Revelation 5 says, they, they sing a song that says we were redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Well, even a very casual study of the number of kindreds and tongues and peoples and nations in this world will tell you there are Many, 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 many times more of each one of those than 24. So the word 24 has to be figured. Because the 24 elders, whoever they represent, was saved out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. But whoever these people are, the only time in the entire book of Revelation that they are, that it's indicated that they vacate their seats, is when in mass, they get out of their seats and mass before the throne of the, uh, uh, of the Lamb that's sitting on the throne, that one true and living God, and they take those crowns of life, that crown of victory, that Stephanos, not diademia, which is a crown of royalty, that's what Jesus wears, but we are promised crowns of Stephanos, crowns of victory, victory. Victor's crowns. And in mass, that group that's represented by the 24 elders falls prostrate before the throne and casts their crowns at his feet, saying, You are worthy. You know what they're saying? We may be saved, but we can't take any credit. That's what it means. If the righteous scarcely be saved because when we get there we will not have any thought or feeling in our hearts that we deserve this, that we earned it that we did enough to win it salvation is not a prize you can win, impossible it's not a reward it's a gift because we can't possibly earn it. So what are trials and tests and problems and pain and trouble for? To bring you to the place. That over the course of time as the Father works in your life. He eradicates completely from your heart and life. All of those feelings that somehow you've done enough to deserve God to do this for you. And give you that and not let this happen and. Whatever. This is... You know, and, 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 and what, what what I've gone through, I'm not comparing it to what Brother Lawson has gone through with his wife facing a, a life and death situation for 19 years and then it being solved. And then now all of a sudden she's in very serious situation all over again. And I'm not comparing it to that. I'm not comparing it to what my brother Robert Eby's going through with his wife I I can't even imagine that I can't I'm not comparing it to what my beloved elder here went through for so many years and taking care of his wife I'm not comparing it to that but that was their trial this is mine you understand what I'm saying knowing that what they've gone through or going through is so much more difficult than what I've gone through doesn't change what I've gone through. My God designed what I'm going through for me. You say, well, what about her? He's using this for her. This isn't just about me. It's just as much for her as it is for me. But what he's doing in her, that's between him and her. This is what he's doing in me. Never been lower, never felt weaker, never felt more hopeless of my right and ability to be saved. And to God be the glory. Because I didn't do that to me. I didn't get me there. I'm not ready to pronounce the work is done. Only my father knows when the work's done. So what's going on in your life? What's going on? What are you going through? Whatever you're going through is uniquely designed by your loving, gracious, kind, heavenly Father just for you. It's not like anybody else's. It's not like anybody else's. I know people mean well, but, you know, people come up and you say, well, my wife had that and God did this. Well, that's why I'm happy for you. I'm so happy for you that I'm not upset with God that he's not doing that for my wife. Hello? Hello? Right now, the prognosis is really good, and I've got brethren whose wives died of a- cancer every person's trial test is uniquely designed by their father for them for the purpose of bringing you to a place where you can be saved and why is it scarcely be saved or hard hardly saved or saved through uh, amplified says it's saved I think it says One of the translations I read today said, save through strenuous effort. Not strenuous effort to be saved. But the the great trial of living through trials. The hard, the difficulty, the pain, the, the test of going through that trial. One of you precious brethren today, you made my wife's day. You asked her how she was doing and she told you she's doing really good and how God helped her through chemo. And you said, isn't it amazing? You didn't even lose your hair. You have no idea what we went through so that it would not look like she's lost her hair. This haircut is a solidarity haircut that's going to stay this short or shorter until she can go in public again without her God-provided head covering. I'm going to tell you something right now. You talk about feeling so absolutely helpless as I've ever felt in my life we prayed and prayed and prayed and surrendered it to God that she would not lose her hair. Never had scissors in it for 62 years. It was her identity. She was born and raised Pentecostal. That was, it wasn't superstition for her. It was her glory. That's what it was. And we were asking God and she was asking God not to let it happen. And then over a matter of a couple of days, After the second week of chemo, it just started coming out. And my God, you talk about feeling helpless. Your wife is devastated and the tears are just pouring down her face. And she's saying to you, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm a fixer. I want her to be happy. I try everything in my power to do everything in my power to make her happy as much as the Lord enables me and provides me to do that. But when he strips you of every possible ability to fix, to make it happy, to make her happy. Oh, God. I'm not equating what I went through in that with what she went through, but what I went through is bad enough. Why? It's easy to ask why. It's easy to ask why, God. Why would you allow this? We're Pentecostal. We don't believe in this. Look at all the scripture on this, God. Why? This is in your power. Why? It's easy to ask that. And in closing, I'm going to say this to you. Some of you have heard me say this in my couple of times of preaching. The thing I'm absolutely... So 100% thankful for in all of this is not one time, not one moment with any news or any situation we've been given has either she or I even considered asking why or why me. You don't understand, maybe you do, I hope you do, but let me say it rhetorically. You don't understand how much of a victory that is. Because that's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. I'm 68. She'll be 63 in a couple of months. We've given our whole lives to Him. Literally. We're not young anymore. We've given our whole lives to, them, to Him. We've given up dreams. Ambitions things that defined us to us we gave it all up for him if you can earn something maybe if, if, if you could earn something I think we might, might have earned something as absolutely foolish as that sounds to even utter rhetorically So, to not question him, to not ask him why, to not accuse him, it's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. It's only by the divine work of the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you. I am so happy. I'm so happy. I would not, and I don't believe she would either. Right here today, if the Lord took us back six months and said, "Hey, I'm going to wipe all that out. Everything's going to be fine. It's all going to be normal. It's not even ever going to be an issue." I can't speak for her, but I'm speaking for me. No deal. No deal. Why? I want to be saved. And my account that enables me to in any way think I can earn or deserve salvation has got to be completely bankrupt. So that I can be saved. And be among the multitude that casts my crown someday. Let's pray. If nobody else in this room knows how much this was a word from God, I do. If nobody else in this room knows how much this was God and not human, I do. I do. I've never been emptier in my life. I've never had less to say in my life. I've never in my life been in a situation where I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to preach. I don't want to minister. I was so empty. God emptied me of me. Whether or not I stay empty of me, it's all going to be dependent upon how I walk from this plate, this time, and this place forward. Some of you precious folks, and I'm not saying this critically, but there are some folks that need to be repenting to Jesus and begging His forgiveness because some of you have been angry with Him. Some of you pointed your finger in His face. Some of you have accused Him of doing you wrong. Some of you have accused Him of letting Him down. Some of you are accusing Him right now, right now, letting you down why aren't you doing this and why have you let this happen and why hasn't this changed and I prayed and I prayed and you haven't fixed this and nothing no 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 there's not one book in the Bible written by the Apostle Saul not one every book in the Bible that is attributed to Paul did not become was not written till after Saul stopped being Saul and he became Paul and the word Paul means end or small God never used Paul to do all the great things he did through him till Paul came to the end till Saul came to the end of himself and saw how small he was in God's eyes and his own eyes The Lord said to King Saul, While you were small in your eyes, I could use you. But now, you've gotten impressed with yourself. I'm paraphrasing. When you were small in your eyes, I could use you. But you've gotten impressed with yourself. And I can't use you. And now you've gotten so big in your britches. That instead of pleasing me, you're pleasing people and expecting me to accept that's okay. No, I'm done with you, Saul. I'm done with you. Come on, the Holy Ghost is trying to do something here right now. I know what time it is, and you've been so patient with me, and I've tried not to take advantage of your patience. But I'm telling you right now, the Holy Ghost is trying to do something in our midst. He's trying to do something in your heart. For some of you, he's trying to pull the scales back from your eyes and let you see what's really going on in your life. Not what you think is going on, not why you think it's going on, but because your heavenly Father loves you so much. He's in charge. and He's willing to do whatever's necessary to bring you to the end of you. So that he can be everything. The verse was read today. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. The Greek word glory means to boast or brag.
1: No flesh
0: is going to brag in the presence of God. No flesh is going to take the credit for what is done for, to, or through them. No flesh. And your Father loves you so much that whatever He's got to let you go through to bring you to that place, He's willing to do it.
1: Whether you pray where you are, whether you kneel where you are, whether you come to the
0: front and pray, can we please pray? Your Father loves you. There's not a person in this room that's not going through some kind of trial. There's not a person in this room that's not going through a test.
1: Your test may be different than anybody else's test, but
0: it's uniquely designed for
1: you. In the
0: name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. How can the healer let you be sick? How can the supplier let you be in need and not give it to you? How can the deliverer let you be bound? How can the joy of the Lord and the Lord of joy
1: let you be depressed and discouraged how to trust in Jesus how
0: can the deliverer
1: let you struggle
0: with yourself and with flesh how how can he because he loves you that much
1: He wants to save you. He wants to save me.
0: He wants to save you. He wants to save me. Come on, can we go just a little farther? Come on. I thank you
1: for the mountains. But I thank him. Hallelujah, For the valleys, for the for a brought me through. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I would In the name of Jesus said he I, could serve him. In the name of Jesus. I never know what faith in, in my name God could do. In the name of Jesus. Oh, but I've learned through it all. He was a man of sorrow and
0: acquainted with grief. Through it you all. want to be a Christian?
1: You want to be like Christ?
0: He was trust a man of sorrow and
1: Jesus.
0: acquainted with grief.
1: To trust
0: in God. Is there power in God? Yes. Is there love in God? Yes. Is there deliverance in God? Yes. Is there grace in God? Yes. Is there healing in God? Yes. In God? yes. But what do you do? When the one that can do all of that all says not now not right now there's oh, something more important I'm trying to do, do, do In the name of Jesus. Jesus In the name of Jesus
1: oh, In the name of
0: Jesus trust in the name of Jesus
1: I've learned in
0: the name of Jesus
1: in god.
0: i know what time it is and if you need to go you're welcome to go god bless you we're going to start promptly at nine in the morning for the business so if you need to go so you can get back god bless you but i, I can't stop this right now honestly seriously if you need to go you're welcome to go it's okay it's not a problem But there's some people that have needed this word for a while and they're still wrestling with it. It's not what they want to know. It's not what they want to hear. That's not how they want things to go. I've learned to trust in Jesus' Jesus name.
1: I've learned to trust in in God through it all. upon his word oh,
0: through it all you're welcome to go you're welcome to go but if you're going to stay let's pray okay if you're going to stay let's pray come on let's pray let the Holy Ghost talk to you come on in Jesus name in Jesus name Learn
1: to trust in God. I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him
0: the name for of Jesus. the
1: storms he's brought me through. In the name of Jesus,
0: in the name of Jesus, if
1: I never had. know what faith in God can do.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Oh, but I learned through, through it all. Through it all, I learned to, to trust in Jesus. Jesus. I
0: learned. I learned. To to trust trust in in God God. through Through it all, through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. We're going to uh, stop singing and lay the microphones down can i encourage you if the spirit of the lord's dealing with your heart would you keep talking to him don't 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 let the time or the hour cause you to miss what he's trying to do in your heart and life right now don't don't let that happen praise god again if you need to go you're welcome to go but if god's god's doing something if he's helping you Let him continue to do that. God bless you.